This is episode number 210. How do you care for others? With David John. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming event called Survive to Thrive Attitude of Gratitude. This is a two-weekend experience where we'll be exploring the concepts of different ways to develop resilience with gratitude, grieving with gratitude, and ultimately exploring the whole mindset behind what it means to be grateful and what life looks like without this larger concept of being grateful. If you would like to more details about these upcoming experiences, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the full agenda as well as all of the speakers and facilitators who will be taking part of this particular experience. The second announcement that I would like to make is this. If you enjoyed any of the previous episodes or if this is your first time tuning in and you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Oleg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being a part of it. And thanks for having this conversation with me around this concept of caring. And I, I figured that maybe even the best way to even illustrate what that concept looks like is taking it to the Grand Canyon experience. Oh, man. Do you feel like you were cared for <laughs> on the way up by the people that were Ooh. surrounding you? <laughs> oh, man, that, definitely, for sure, for sure. So just to give a little background of, of the Grand Canyon experience, uh, Oleg and I and a couple of our friends decided to hike the Grand Canyon, and uh, we decided that it would be a good idea to hike 12 miles in one day. <laughs> so we try to rush through it because uh, a couple little mishaps in the morning ended up uh starting our adventures a little bit late in the day so about three quarters of the way back when we were hiking back from the bottom of the grand canyon or right by the plateau point i started hitting cramp i started getting cramps in my legs and it was really really bad because <laughs> both my legs were seizing up i could not walk at all and i and the sun was going down and i thought i was just going to be stuck in the grand canyon and Oleg had, at this point, walked off so far ahead, miles <laughs> on ahead, because he decided that I need to get up to the top before, I, before the sun sets down. And we were trying to just keep up with Oleg's pace here, but my legs were not doing it. So in that, in that moment, I really had, had, a, had to think to myself, how do, how do I get out of this? Because mm -hmm. my legs aren't working, and no matter how much mentally I'm forcing myself to try to just push through the pain and just keep pushing through, it, it just physically isn't happening. So the only way I was able to get out of that was because of, you know, coming back to the topic, two caring friends of mine, you know, Oleg, mm -hmm. or sorry, Carson and Elam that were there to literally carry me out of the Great Canyon that I was able to make it out. But 
yeah like did it did it did it really get to that point so i was talking to carson afterwards and he was telling me the story about how there were times where you actually told them just like keep going you know just go go ahead of me (laughs) yeah honestly because i i but in regard to like that caring part like did, did it really get to that point where they actually had to physically carry you parts of that canyon basically it was i had one arm on carson's shoulder and one arm on elam's shoulders and uh, i couldn't most of my weight were on them so i was basically just dragging my legs along as i as we were just hiking up back up the grand canyon and it was I, i i would not have made it without them i am very 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 grateful for that experience just in showing how you know, like when you're by yourself, you, you, you hit points where you, you, you do everything you possibly can to try to, you know, reach that next step where, you know, the whole time I was telling myself just one more step, just one more mm. step. And, you know, like you're, you're hitting a mental, mental and physical and emotional, every single kind of barrier you could think of. And you're just, you're, you just keep telling yourself one more step, one more step, one more step. And, you know, like there eventually comes a point where you've taken so many steps that, <laughs> your body just physically just you know doesn't want to take any more steps anymore and in that moment I realized it's like wow like if I didn't have friends like this next to me you know I would have never made it out of this Grand Canyon I would have never made it past this one more step or these multiple steps that I've taken beyond what I thought I was capable of yeah it's you know it was it was it was the friends that were next to me that pushed me beyond that point and that was such a it was a very uh, heartwarming moment Mm-hmm. I would say to know that like I have friends by my side that wouldn't abandon me mm-hmm. even at my weakest point like and th- and that time being hiking up the Grand Canyon and my legs just giving out and cramping on me mm-hmm. but- I got the same exact uh I had a similar experience to that whole one more step because as I kept hiking up I repeated that to myself I don't know when it started for you, but for me, it started probably the first step on the incline. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. The first and that's where I back. just started to realize that if I just continue to tell myself one more step and then after one more step, I would repeat mind over body. So I, I'm pretty sure I repeated that to myself for the entire four to five out four to five miles up, just one more step, mind over body one more step (laughs) mind over body because it truly got, I don't know how it was for you, but for me, there were a couple points within that hike. I remember going up after the first restroom break. Remember when it got extremely muddy and the steps that you had to take, you you no longer could slide your feet or drag your feet, but you like physically had to step over the steps because I think the, um, the path, if I remember correctly, it had those uh, like wood um, blocks in them mm-hmm. that you had to physically step over. And yep. I just remember thinking to myself, like, man, when is this going to be over? When is it going to be flat ground? <laughs> when is it going to be a point that. where I can just drag my feet? <laughs> I know. I remember that. And then it's like you'd be sitting there at the side of the canyon and you would look up and it's like, you know, I'm telling myself I'm almost there. And then you would look up the canyon and, and you know where you came down from. So you're just like, wow. That's a yeah. long way up. Yeah. And it was Such in layers. Like every time I looked up, I, I saw the peak, but I didn't see the peak peak. I right. would see like the peak right. of kind of like one of the edges or one of the splits. 
of the canyon. And then once I got to that, then there was another split. And there was a split beyond that. And then after a while, I was able to see the full thing. And I remember seeing the, the, the last, so to speak, split. And it was just nothing but flat rock. Mm-hmm. And that's where I realized, like, wow, that is pretty high. I mean, I literally just height four to five miles, just straight incline, nothing else. Oh, yeah. That was, that was the hardest hike of my life. I would definitely say that. Yeah. That was a challenge like I've never experienced in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say, yeah, that if I were to do another hike, I don't know if I would probably go to that extreme. That was my first hike ever. I, I've never done, I mean, I've never hiked. I, the only other form of hiking I've done is walking my dog. Yeah, that's crazy. And then and just decided- all of a sudden, like, do the yeah, Grand the first Canyon. Thing you're gonna do is just gonna be the Grand Canyon. <laughs> One of the hardest hikes that you can ever decide to do. Just, yeah, let's just jump into it. Oh, um, that's awesome. I'm glad that we were able to create that and, and share their experience. And I, I'm also fortunate to look at, back at all of that, including how the day started. I mean, driving to the Grand Canyon. And for those that are not aware, our car broke down. We we rented a car from Turo. And the minivan that we had, it broke down. Luckily, broke down in the parking lot. Can you imagine if it would have broken down on the highway? Or at the Grand Canyon? Or at the Grand Canyon, and we would have had to sleep there. And, and then from there, like, I don't know what form of towing or anything that's available there. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that it happened the way that it did. And I don't know what your perspective was when it all took place. But for me, it just kind of made me realize that something was looking out for us it definitely felt like that it definitely felt like that because just the whole timing of everything where Mm -hmm. there's no way this minivan seems so perfectly fine Mm -hmm. and as soon as we go to drop off our other rental car this rental car just breaks down and Mm -hmm. won't start it's seizing up you know it's not just a battery problem and yeah, like the, the the timing of it all was just, it was too serendipitous to say like, oh, like this was just coincidence. Like, yeah. Do you believe in coincidences? Um, yes and no, mm-hmm. I would say. I think yes to the, to the extent of it's what you make of it where so I, be, I believe you know incidents can be random but what you choose to make of that incident doesn't mm-hmm. make it as random as it could have been mm-hmm. so simple way to put that i guess would be saying you know you can't control everything that happens to you but you can always control how you react to it mm-hmm. and based on how you're reacting to it you know it might not be just a random event that just that just that just had, had happened to you because an example of our car breaking down you know we could have just said oh our car broke down let's just go back home because and we can't hike the grand canyon now and just Mm -hmm. gave up on that whole whole entire thing but we know we didn't do that we decided all right what's what's next what's what's the next solution what do we have to do now Mm -hmm. so immediately we we decided we figured out all right we're going to need to get in contact with turo try to get a refund on this car that we um, rented out because this one is just broken Mm -hmm. and luckily we are at another another rental car place that we can just extend the current car that we have reservation 
which I feel like if we didn't choose to react in a sense of a problem solving mindset instead of in a victim mindset, we would have never gotten anywhere. So, you know, like if we if we decided to look at it as a problem problem mindset and said, oh, we can't solve this, then mm -hmm. what what would we what would we call that then? Is that just a coincidence, an unlucky coincidence? Mm -hmm. But you know, we don't have to look at it as an unlucky coincidence. It just just kind of something that happened to us and maybe it was meant to happen just to you know test test our problem solving skills and test how test our will on how much we really want to hike this grand canyon yeah and add on to the experience I, i'm a huge believer in the same thing and i think one of the things that i started to believe and reframe within my own mind is this whole concept that everything happens for a reason so i used to believe in that theory for however many years and then i started to realize that in my opinion, everything happens for a reason only if I choose to give it a reason. Otherwise, things just happen. And I think that the event that you and I and, and two of other friends were able to be a part of, it's the same exact situation. If there was a choice that we made, conscious choice, in order to turn that around and, and use that form of adversity as something that maybe fuel us and help us get forward. Because the other thing that I wasn't even considering at the time and it wasn't until later that when I was reflecting upon it, that happened at what, 10, 10, 11 a.m.? So we got yeah. to the Grand Canyon at noon, and we were about to embark on a 12-mile hike with the yep. intention of getting back by sunset. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll oh, never man. forget walking down with Carson, and we're walking down, and one of the there was a person that was passing us, and I think Carson had asked him the question. He said, uh, how long is it going to take to get to the plateau point? And I'm pretty sure he said that we will be, we might get there by sunset. We might get right. to the point, but by sunset. So little did he know the people that were actually doing this hike and that they would not get there by sunset, but not only would they get there, but they would get all the way back up by sunset. And that- by sunset. That to me, I think was just another, I mean, there's so many components of resilience and growth, um, just my own realizations that I had along the trip, but that whole thing about just caring and, and more so like, you know, caring for other people, but also caring enough to make a commitment to myself to do it and to set that goal in mind. And I, I don't know, I personally don't know how we were able to hike the three miles in, in an hour. I think that's what Carson ended up saying, but we made it possible. And it, it kind of goes back to the whole concept of how powerful your mind truly is. If you, if you sure. set a goal in mind and you go towards it. That's very true. I mean, all, all we knew was we had a goal in mind. We didn't know how feasible it was. We just decided, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to make it happen because we just want, we, we just, we just have faith that we, believe in ourselves and our own physical capabilities to make it happen there mm -hmm. there, was, there was no doubt in our minds that we, that we were going to make it happen and honestly we were on pace to make it happen but yeah and then i died <laughs> <laughs> what did you learn about yourself throughout this trip from that trip hmm I guess I learned it in like different, different parts, mm -hmm. but, um, the, 
Well, I don't know if it was more about myself, but I guess it was about my bias about the world in a sense of, I feel like I had, even though I had traveled in the past, but not as, not as much as I would like, um, mm-hmm. I still had a kind of a bias where when you go meet strangers in a new place, you know, you have to be careful. Like you, you can't just keep your guard down. And I don't know if that's something that I just had a bias in just from growing up because um, I'm just a very gullible person. So I, I tend to put myself in, I, I tend to put myself in situations where uh, I'm the one that's getting the short end of the, or I could be the one at the, uh, at the end of the day getting the short end of the stick if I'm not, you know, really, really conscious of the steps that I'm making moving forward with, you know, someone that I've never met before. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. But what I learned from, I guess, especially in Arizona was that like, you know, there are some really good people in the world and, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't really even have to be looking, but you would just encounter them as, as like along your journey. And it just, it was just so cool to see how, how caring some people could be mm-hmm. towards people that they've never met before. Like, mm-hmm. It's like we 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 came across people on on like other hikes where we just you know we would we were just we would just ask to exchange pictures where like you know if you can take a picture of our group take a picture of your group kind of a thing but everything everything about that just felt like so genuine so so pure and so kind hearted and like it felt like it was all coming from a place of love and it it was such a change in my own bias and during that moment so wow like wow like i feel good just going around talking to people you know mm-hmm. and having conversations with strangers and getting to know, getting to know getting to know them and i feel like sometimes that doesn't like for a lot of times that doesn't come out of myself naturally mm-hmm. but being in that environment really helped bring it out of myself so mm-hmm. it, i learned that I do I do have that in me you know it's not like completely non-existent that I can't talk to people or I don't care about people it's there somewhat just maybe just not as developed as I think it is or maybe it's just um uh sheltered per se from the biases that I have just growing up and everything else but Mm -hmm. do you think caring is a learned behavior or was that something that you were naturally born with and then just haven't been able to tap into as much as you wish personally i want to say it's more natural for me just because uh, when it comes to helping people i definitely mm-hmm. do care about that a lot i definitely um, want to help people but uh, i think it's also learned because there are certain things even when it comes to like showing that you care about people that i'm not very good at like for example uh remembering names i am terrible at remembering names honestly and or even uh it like just remembering names and just remembering to reach out to old friends per se mm-hmm. i feel like i'm not if i'm not doing that and showing my care for them then it creates us um it creates a space where that other person can doubt where I, whether i actually care about them or not Mm-hmm. and uh sometimes i have like these mental debates to myself it's like well do i really have to contact this person for me to for me to really show that i care about them 
And I don't always say yes to that, but I haven't, I, I haven't figured out whether that's a good or bad thing. Mm-hmm. How did your parents teach you about caring? Um, I want to say it was just learn from watching. Um, I think my parents in general are very caring people. Um, they're very good at, you know, spotting people that are struggling and going out of their way to help them. Like, like whether it's, um, you know, one, one, one of their friends might be sick and, or have been sick lately. So knowing that they'll, they'll pack some food for them and send it over to them because maybe they have kids or a husband that, you know, whatever that haven't been able to eat because they're the main provider of, of the family when it comes to food mm-hmm. and they've been, they've been sick. So they couldn't, they, they couldn't eat properly. So my parents are really good at like taking care of them in that sense. And they'll never, they'll never tell me like, Oh, like you need to do this or, you know, you need to, you need to go take care of people that are sick, like directly. Mm-hmm. But I would always just see them do that. I would always just watch them and just, just, just kind of notice that they are doing that. Mm-hmm. And so I picked it up naturally in that sense from my parents, which I'm very grateful about, honestly. Yeah, I'm curious. The, the reason why I asked that question is because I think for me, like in my own upbringing, my parents played a tremendous role in helping me understand what caring looks like, and as well as so many of the other elements. And if there's anything that I picked up from them, it is that actions do speak louder than words in many of the situations, because you know, it's one thing to be able to recognize someone in need and recognize what their need is. And it's a whole other thing to be able to act upon that and put together that bag of groceries or whatever it is and, and pass that along. So I think the more that I reflect upon my experience and, and just briefly hearing what you shared about your own journey, it really makes me understand and appreciate the impact and the influence that my parents have had within my life. And I, I think, I don't know if this has been true for you, but this has been certainly true for me. For many years, I, I took my parents for granted. <clears throat> I took my parents for granted because I had this thought in the back of my mind that said they were there yesterday, they're here today, therefore they will be there tomorrow. And so I think it probably somewhat relates to what you just said as far as <clears throat> choosing to reach out to certain people and acknowledge why you are grateful or thankful for them is it was the same exact thing that I experienced. I just said, oh, I'll call them next week or I'll call them next month. But the reality of the matter is none of that's guaranteed. So you don't truly know when the last opportunity will be. So I'm curious to hear how do you, like knowing what you know now, how do you approach that? How do you approach the whole reaching out to someone and acknowledging the impact that they have in your life? Oof. Um... Well, so there's been a little bit of a disconnect in how I want to approach it and how I am approaching it lately, if I'm being honest with myself, because um, how I want to approach it would be to just tell myself, you know, like, to always challenge my assumptions in, you know, like, no, you're not bothering someone by reaching out to them or like Mm -hmm. no like you know like you're really like like and anything that's preventing me from doing that exactly just reaching out to somebody is all just excuses honestly and 
when I have done so in the past and I have reached out to old friends or whatever, I would, I would have to say it's worked out for better than what I've expected, where I will talk to an old friend or I'll reach out to them and we, we, we will have a conversation. And then I'll feel good about myself in knowing that, like, wow, like, I really did miss this person. I really did want to, like, you know, what was going on with them. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what, what, what kept me back this whole time. Mm-hmm. And I won't realize that until after I've had that conversation with them. Where it, so the main, the main, main, main thing that I tell myself to challenge myself now is, you know, is to challenge my assumptions. Like, is it, mm-hmm. is it just a, a bias that I have or it just some kind of heuristics that's preventing me from making from taking that action or taking that next step to just reaching out to somebody or just you know uh something as simple as hey how, like how are you mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think it needs to be a you know whenever you reach out to somebody I don't think it needs to be a hey like we should we should we should plan to meet up in the next three months and make mm-hmm. sure you know we do x y and z together because I feel like that just puts a lot more pressure on both both sides of the person that's reaching out and the person that's you know being invited where you want to show that you care but you know you don't have to show that you care by going out of your way and trying to make plans with them in the future and all the all these other things that are associated mm-hmm. with what you think is showing that you care mm-hmm. what does that frequency look like then i mean do, do you try and do that on a weekly monthly how do you know how do you know when to reach out to someone and how do you know that you are doing enough when it comes to that outreach so that's actually uh, a good question because the problem with for myself is that i personally have no problem with it where if Mm -hmm. i don't talk to a friend of mine for a year because i was busy or they were busy and we end up seeing each other again after a year i'm and I'm still going to think that I'm, I'm, I'm best friends with this guy. And the next time I see him, it's going to be like, we just saw each other yesterday, or at mm-hmm. least that's how I would feel about it. But I don't exactly know how they feel about it. Like, are, do they have the same mindset of, oh, well, like we haven't talked in a year, so they must not care about me or, oh, we haven't talked in a year because we must have just been busy. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to judge based from my own perspective because i don't have much attachment to not talking to somebody as frequently Mm -hmm. so personally it's not a matter of frequency i would say Mm -hmm. it's a matter of the just the quality of the conversation or the quality of the experience that we share together Mm -hmm. and i think that go ahead i was gonna say i think that weighs so much more than that, that carries so much more weight than, you know, seeing somebody every single day, but having no uh, meaning behind that experience. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel bothered when people reached out to you with similar intentions? No. I don't think I've ever been bothered by, you know, a friend wanting to reach out or wanting to. Well, actually, I take that back because... I don't want to say bothered, but mm-hmm. I want to say like um, when I was when I first graduated college and I was kind of just more career focused. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it's not that I felt bothered, but I felt I feel like I just didn't care to reach mm-hmm. out to anybody. I was just so hyper focused on like I need to I need to uh, focus on my next step for my career. I need to focus on you know developing myself and getting myself to where I where I where I need to be, which at the time was um, trying to become a general manager for a restaurant for the company that I was working at. So I was just super focused on that, telling myself I'm, I want to become one of the youngest GMs that this company has ever seen. And I was 23 at the time, and I was telling myself I want to become a general manager by the time I'm 28. Mm-hmm. And I was so hyper-focused on that that I really didn't think about anyone else or didn't really care or care to think about anyone else. Mm-hmm. And That was in uh, uh, Maryland? Yes, that was in Maryland. Straight mm-hmm. out of University of Delaware, straight to Maryland. Uh, it was a very quick transition from college to work, but I didn't know what to expect. So all I did was just focus on work because I thought that's what I had to do. Mm. I felt the same way before. I, I think if anything, in my opinion, that's one of the dangers of being too driven sometimes because mm. I've experienced the same exact thing, being so hyper-focused on work and wanting to build it and wanting to become and wanting for it to be all of these things where in that mindset, at least for me, there was no time to commit to other people. And it wasn't until I had a couple conversations with (laughs) some of my friends and people within my network that helped me realize that it truly is about the now. It truly is about the people in your life right now. And it's great to have all these aspirations and goals and milestones to shoot towards. But unless I acknowledge and really embrace the people now, the journey to those goals is going to be that much more difficult. And I think part of that is because I don't know what your realization has been, but for me, I started to understand that, yes, I'm the one that's doing the work and all this other stuff, but much of this, I can't physically can't manifest unless I have other people in my corner, unless I have other people helping me along the way. And that's where I think for me, it shifted and it became a lot less about focusing so much on the work and more about focusing on the relationship at hand. Because at the end of the day, I I don't know what your experience has been like, Dave, and I'm assuming that has been relatively similar, especially from the time that I've known you and transition that you had to make from Maryland back to Philadelphia. And it's like, when times get tough, for me, it was about knowing who can I call? Who can I talk to? Who can help me? Who can just be there? And not even give me advice, but someone to just there share space with and listen to me. And I know that similar friends that you have, that you and I share, those were the people that were there every single step of the way. Did you, did you have a similar experience like when you, when you were yeah, moving from definitely. Maryland back to Philadelphia? Yep, and then also to North Carolina as well. And I realized that a lot a lot more in North Carolina because of just the physical space that was between myself and, you know, the, the people that I considered my close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, you, you get so focused on the journey of your career that you realize, okay, what about when you're not focused on your career? What about when, you know, you want to spend some you time, mm-hmm. you know, you want to spend your, you might want to spend your you time with 
your friends, you know, mm-hmm. just just having that shared space, shared experience, and just being able to listen to each other. Mm-hmm. But being in a brand new place and be, and just feeling like and thinking that you know, like you or for me, I embraced the challenge. I embraced being in a brand new place, and I I was all about it. Mm-hmm. But and but like, I mean, what was great was I met a, I met a lot of new people. I made I made a, a lot of new connections, and a lot of those cr- people were great people. They were great connections, and a lot of the things that I was able to accomplish, or the steps, or the steps that I was able to take, I would not have been able to do without those people that I had met. So mm-hmm. I am very grateful to those people that I met. But in terms of just wanting to be myself and wanting to just be with my friends, I feel like I didn't have that space in North Carolina for myself. Like. Mm-hmm. I wanted to it, it really made me miss home and really made me appreciate the space that home create like a what the space that a home really creates like mm-hmm. it really made me rethink what it means to be home mm-hmm. and how and I, I really uh, gained a new appreciation new, new appreciation for that mm-hmm. aspect what are you valuing the friendship trust mainly um going back to like i said you know i'm I'm very gullible so i would i would i would do anything for my friends honestly where like you know because i would do anything for my friends i feel like if i met the wrong kind of friends i would put myself in situations where those said friends could could you know probably screw me over somehow Mm -hmm. like I, I, i i'm not I'm too gullible naturally to where I have to develop the sharpness of knowing that someone's trying to screw me over. So when it comes to friends, I am very naturally even more trusting towards them. So knowing that I can trust my friends and, and that's it. I don't, have to, I don't have to think twice about trusting my friends. That's mm-hmm. something very valuable to me. Mm. I love that because I, I share a similar belief. I think for me, trust, honesty, transparency, and authenticity are probably the core core pillars when I when I look at people and kind of categorize whether or not one can be a friend and to what degree, um, to what level of depth and experience I can go with them. So I'm completely with you when it comes to that. Dave, outside of that, what are some ways that people can connect with you? I know that LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, some of those platforms, can you share briefly the exact ways that people can find you on those platforms? Um, yeah, um, on LinkedIn as my own name, David Jung. Um, mm-hmm. I am also, I'm not the most active on social media, I would, uh, <laughs> I'm being honest, but I do have, and Instagram as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Is there a better way that people can connect with you outside of social media? A better way to connect with me outside of social media. Let's see. Hmm. Go and knock on your door. What's your yeah, address? Come, 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 come knock on my door. You know, like, <laughs> definitely come over, stop by for a cup of coffee or something. You know, maybe I'll make you some dinner. <laughs> um, 
if anyone would wants to reach out to me, I would say uh, to do it through Oleg. Mm-hmm. I think it would be if anyone was actually if anyone was actually serious about it, then I think the best way is through a bridge of a mutual friend. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content as well as the latest episodes. Also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these courageous and inspiring conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next week. Thank you.